led by the light of faith serenely beaming, with glowing hearts by his candle, by his cradle we stand. So led by light of a star sweetly gleaming, here come the wise men from Orient land. The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger, in in all our trials, born to be our friend. He knows our need, to our weakness is no stranger. Behold, your king before him lowly bend. These are powerful words, and we sing them every Christmas season. Uh, And if you were like me, uh, I sing them quite a bit during the Christmas season, and I've never really taken time to, to dig deep and to think about what they really mean. And so I thought this year we would um, take a really close look at that, that whole song. Uh, and, and last week we talked about the first verse. Uh, this week we're talking about the second verse. And it's, it's deep words like this that really guide us and can show us um, what not only Christmas is about, but what the holidays are about and what life is about. You know, the, the holidays are difficult for a lot of people. And I mentioned this last um, last week. It, for some, it's, it's tons of excitement and anticipation and joy, uh, but for others, it's, it's dread and stress and loneliness. Um, no matter where your holidays, no matter where you will be for your holidays, no matter what they're going to be like this year, it's important for you to know and it's important for me to say it and for us to believe it that hope is an option for you. Hope is an option for you. No matter if you're alone on Christmas or if you're surrounded by family and friends, no matter if you're the only one at work because you just needed something to do so your mind's not on the fact that Christmas isn't the way that you want it to be, or if you're in a holiday movie itself, <laughs> hope is an option for you. you. You have that option. And since the beginning of the world, um, since the beginning of time, we've been a weary people. The world itself has been weary. It longs to be what it once was. Even creation itself longs to be connected to the Father the way it was in the garden. Sure, it sounds um, uh, good to, to decide for yourself right and wrong, and that's what Adam and Eve thought when they got the option, and we talked about it last week, and the serpent said, you, why don't you eat this fruit, and you get to choose between right and wrong and between good and evil. And Adam and Eve went, well, that sounds pretty good. I want to choose between right and wrong. And they chose that. They made that choice. I want to choose between right and wrong. And when Adam and Eve decided to take that fruit, Humanity took on a responsibility that it was never designed to bear, the choice of right and wrong. Trying to tell the difference between right and wrong is exhausting. It was exhausting then, and it's exhausting now. So when Isaiah wrote the words, for those walking in deep darkness, a light has dawned, it was like all of creation took a breath. (gasps) There's hope. There's something on the horizon. A light is dawning. And maybe, just maybe, we can be connected again to the Father the way that we were. It captured the hearts of the people, and it it gave people hope that something better was coming. All the pain, all the hurt, 
all the suffering, all the loneliness. But there was a light on the horizon. And just maybe we wouldn't have to bear that weight anymore. Wonder and excitement was building for 750 years from when Isaiah wrote those words to the birth of Christ. That excitement was awakened the night he was born. And you guys know the story. The angels appeared to shepherds of all people, shepherds. And they were so bright and strong and confident that it terrified the shepherds. But the angel said, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. A great light has awoken, and that light was just born. And the shepherds got it, and they worshiped. The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger. Made a big splash. Lots of people knew about it. Even wise men from the Far East, for some I can't imagine having the ability to read the stars and know that this was going to happen. But they did, and they saw it. And they said, we have to meet this light. We have to meet this Messiah, this Savior. And they traveled. And they came, and they worshiped, and they brought gifts. Everyone was waiting with great anticipation. But was he what they thought he would be? Did he meet their expectations? Did he meet their needs? Did he become what they had hoped? This is maybe an obvious question, but what happened? What happened? A great light is seen by a world in darkness, and and it takes this breath, and and there's hope on the horizon, and, and maybe pain won't exist anymore, and maybe we can get back to the way we were in the garden, and there's this anticipation. And and the king of kings lay in a lowly manger. What happened? Did the prophecy that Isaiah wrote, did it come true? Or did it not come true? Was it just partially true? I mean, people had dreams. Angels visited Zechariah and Mary and Joseph. Angels were seen, and, and shepherds bear witness. And in the back of their minds, they have to be going, a manger? Why not Jerusalem? Why not a palace? Where's the kingliness that we expected? Most of the Jews at the time didn't buy that this was a fulfilled prophecy. In fact, if you talk to Orthodox Jews today, they still don't agree that Jesus was the prophesied Messiah. The Pharisees pretty quickly wrote him off. Got to wonder, the first time Mary changed Jesus' diapers... Did she think, is this, is this the way it was supposed to go? Joseph, we talked about expectations last week. He, he had this expectation for marriage and, and for what his life would be like and what a family would be like, and, and whoa, all those things were shattered. What went wrong? 
What went wrong? Jesus was born, and he grew up, and, and, and nothing seemed to change. And it was like that big breath that the world took just kind of had a little sigh. Like, what, what happened? Where are the fireworks? Where's the splendor? Why do I still feel weary? Why do I still need to bear the burden of the choice that Adam and Eve made? Why do you and I still feel the way that we feel? Millions and millions of people across the world will be lonely this Christmas. Why does it seem like since Jesus' birth, things sort of sizzled? He's supposed to take away sin, but I still have it. And he was supposed to save us, but my family is still broken. He was supposed to bring hope, but my loved one or ones, my loved ones still don't know him. And that leaves me frustrated and wondering. So what happened? You know, things started to go not as anticipated with that line, the manger, right? Things started to take a weird turn at that point. I can imagine the the shepherds going, okay, he's born, let's go to Jerusalem. And the angel goes, actually, no, he's right here in Bethlehem. And they go, Bethlehem? Is there even a hotel in Bethlehem? That's like a one gas station kind of town. Like, where where would he be in Bethlehem? And And they approach this little manger, in the back of their mind, they have to be going, this isn't what we thought. The king of kings in a lowly manger, was that a mishap or was that intentional? The truth is, when everyone thought the entrance of the Savior would be the end of pain and frustration and sin, and and, and everything would be concluded, things just kind of seemed to keep going. But the truth is, Jesus' birth was the beginning. It wasn't the end. It was the beginning. And and, and things started to slowly change. You see, everyone expected him to be a conqueror and a mighty king. But he was a servant. And everyone expected him to overthrow Rome. And he said, he actually said, submit to Caesar. And the people standing around that heard him say that are going, whoa, what? You don't understand. 750 years. The nation has been waiting for freedom, and, and you're saying submit. That's not what I signed up for. When everyone expected him to give sinners what they deserved, he took upon himself their sin. Jesus was not what people expected. And the truth is, he broke every expectation anybody ever had of him. He gave them more than they could imagine, and it was almost like overload. And so they just kind of shut it off and went, well, he must not be who everyone said he was. You see, Jesus didn't come to show might. Jesus came to show love. And Jesus didn't come to force obedience Jesus came to give freedom. Jesus didn't come to justify the healthy. He came to heal the sick. 
Jesus came to capture the hearts of men. And Jesus came to show us the character of the Father. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. So the secret is the lowly manger. That's the secret. And when the song says that, it's indicating Jesus isn't, isn't what we thought. He didn't meet our expectations. Nearing the end of Jesus' early ministry, uh, earthly ministry, he sat with his disciples at what would be the Last Supper. They didn't think it was the Last Supper. They didn't know that. But Jesus and his disciples are sitting around, and they're talking, and they're eating. And John, who was there at the Last Supper many, many years later, probably on the Isle of Patmos all by himself, is trying to record the words that Jesus spoke. And this is what Jesus said after he shattered everyone's expectations in good and bad ways. His disciples know him well enough to know you have no idea what's going to come out of Jesus' mouth. You don't know what he's going to say. And they're sitting there waiting for him to give them the next instruction, the next thing that they're furiously taking notes on their tablets for. Wait, no, maybe actual tablets. No. (laughs) But Jesus says this to them. And this is one of those moments where the disciples are looking at each other like, did he really just say what, he, what I think he said? John chapter 15, verse 15, he says this. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Watching God in skin, walk around and heal people and do miracles and and the wonders that these disciples saw, and then to have him turn around and say, you're not my servants, you're my friends, must have blown their minds. Yet again, another expectation shattered. Jesus is a friend? This is really different. Jesus is describing God's heart towards his creation. And he's painting a picture of the way it used to be in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve would walk with their father in the cool of the night and talk to one another. Jesus is saying, I'm not here to rule you, I'm here to be your friend. Masters have servants, right? And and rabbis have disciples, and Jesus was both of those things. Teachers have students, and Jesus was the good and is the good teacher. But friends have friends. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. Jesus claimed friendship, and little did his disciples know he's about to prove it in a way that they could never imagine. If you go back a verse in our passage... Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. He goes on to say, you are my friends if you do what I command. Making the disciples nervous, Jesus is talking about death and sacrifice and and dying for your friends. Makes me nervous. 
No greater love has a man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus is showing God's character. God has the character of a sacrificial servant. And God's character is so deeply founded in love that God would stop at nothing to get that relationship back to the way it was in the garden. If you are my friend, you'll do what I command. In verse 12, one verse earlier, Jesus says, my command is this. Pretty simple, pretty easy. Love each other as I have loved you. That's it. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. When you lay these verses out in the context of the holidays, you start to understand that Jesus walks with us shoulder to shoulder as a friend, not as an overlord who's waiting for us to make a mistake so he can point it out. He walks with us as a friend. Hope is an option. Hope is absolutely an option this Christmas for you. Because hope is a friend, and his name is Jesus. When you're filled with this kind of hope, when you understand or realize that amidst your trials and your struggles and your frustrations and your fears, amidst all of that, you have a friend who walks with you and comforts you in your suffering. The hope that builds in your heart is not containable. It's not something that you can hold in. And I think some people try to take a little piece of it and like take it home and put it under the Christmas tree and like savor it. But the thing about that kind of hope is it starts to die unless you do what Jesus says to do. Jesus says, I'm your friend. And I'm going to prove to you that I'm your friend. And if you're my friend, you're going to do the same. So if you want to know the secret to long-lasting hope, hope isn't fleeting. Hope that, that continues with us through that cancer diagnosis, through the loss of that loved one, through that divorce, through that loss of a job, and on and on and on the trials go. If you want the hope that lasts through those things, the kind of hope that you will have in your heart is the kind of hope that loves your brothers and your sisters. Because that's what Jesus is saying. If you are my friend, you will do what I command. And I command you to love each other. And by the way, no greater love has a man than this that he lay his life down for his friends. It's just right there. It's that simple. Hope's an option for you this Christmas because hope is a friend and his name is Jesus. And I don't think I have to spend too much time 
talking to you about what it means to love each other. We have a perfect example in Jesus. And even more than that, God has given you opportunity, opportunity after opportunity that is unique to you. And he's asked you to love your brothers and sisters in a unique way. So I could stand up here and talk to you till I'm blue in the face about all the things that we need to do in order to be Jesus' friend the way that he is friends to us. But you know better than I do what that looks like in your heart and what that looks like in your life. Hope's an option for you, but it's the kind of hope that comes out of you. It doesn't just give you that warm and fuzzy feeling inside. It's it's the kind of hope that puts you out in awkward situations where you can grab people by the shoulders and say, let me tell you about a hope that will carry you through this trial. His name's Jesus. So my hope for you this Christmas season is that you would take a minute, like we talked about last week, spend time with this Jesus. Talk to him. Let him speak to you. And turn that around and tell people about your experience. Share that love, that hope that Jesus has shared with you. And if we do that together as a church, I mean, if we just take a minute and think about what it means to love people the way Jesus loved us, and by doing that, we are declaring friendship with Jesus. What this church would be like, what this community would be like, what this district would be like. By trusting in Jesus and by accepting him as your Savior, you become a friend to Jesus, but you also become a hope dealer. We deal in hope around here. And you have the option of dealing that hope that's growing inside your heart to those who so desperately need it, especially during this season. Ah, this season brings out the best in us. It also brings out the worst. So we all need to deal hope this season. Hope is an option for you, and it's an option for anybody that you talk to this Christmas because hope is a friend and his name is Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come before you this morning desiring to be filled with your hope. And Lord, even though time marches on and sin still exists and the pain that this world has borne since Adam and Eve made their choice. Even though that still exists, Lord, you promise that you're coming back and you're going to wipe it all away. And you're going to wipe every tear and you're going to comfort us. You promise that, Lord, and that is what we're waiting for. You introduced hope to us, Jesus, as a baby. And God, now I ask that that hope continue to grow in us so that we can't contain it. So that it comes out in the way we speak and the way we act and even the way we think. That we would be hope dealers. We would be the people that reflect your love. That we would obey you 
because we love you. So we would love one another. Lord, thank you for coming, the King of kings in a lowly manger. Thank you for not being what I expected, Jesus, because my expectations are small in comparison. Be our hope this Christmas, Jesus, and be the hope that these people so desperately need. In your name, amen.